Imagine going on a hike. You're walking along a trail when all of a sudden a stranger comes up alongside you. He's a spiritual man, mysterious, and he engages you in a startling conversation. Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll describes such an encounter. The details are recorded in Luke chapter 24. This true story gives us a picture of the way God connects with us today. The details should inspire us to cultivate greater sensitivity to His presence in the ordinary moments of our day. Chuck titled today's message, Encountering Jesus Along Life's Road. It occurred to me that we haven't really completed our series on the life of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, unless we look at four vignettes, if you will. Three are vignettes, and one is a great triumphant message. Jesus uh, ministers to a small group on a road, which we will look at today in Luke 24, and then on a sea, the Sea of Galilee in John 21, and then on a mountain before he ascends back to the Father, and finally, he comes for us in the clouds where after the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel, the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout. And those who have died in Christ will be caught up, and we who are alive will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. And that will be our final message on the series. But today we meet with those two men who encounter Jesus along a road. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, I'd invite you to turn to Luke 24. This is uniquely Luke's story. Uh, none of the other gospel writers include this road to Emmaus conversation. It's one of my favorite stories. It's so full of spontaneity and a touch of humor and some wonderful insight that I think it will go with us on our road as well. Luke 24, beginning our reading at verse 13 down through 35. Luke 24, 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all, the, all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. 
Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the Scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. You're listening to Insight for Living. To dig deeper into the Bible with Chuck Swindoll, be sure to download his Searching the Scriptures guide by going to insight.org studies. Chuck calls today's message, Encountering Jesus Along Life's Road. Sensationalism has become the standard of our time. I mean, if it isn't fantastic or amazing or incredible or even miraculous, it's really not worth our time and attention. Have you noticed that? And all of those hyped-up words have a way of making the ordinary seem unimportant or even, for that matter, useless. When, in fact, it is in that realm that we live our lives. <laughs> Perhaps that's the reason I appreciate the words of the Quaker mother who seemed to spend most of her time in the kitchen dealing with kids and husband and the needs of the family. She said on one occasion, God moves among the casseroles. <laughs> Life really is made up of casseroles and crucibles and struggles and, for that matter, the ordinary, common, garden-variety kind of living. It was many years ago I was invited to uh, speak at a small South Florida Bible college. I had never been there before, but 
I knew the school was in need. Its president had fallen morally, and his son had taken up the leadership of the school, and it was sort of struggling to make it. My heart went out to that school. I had good friends who were serving on the board there, and so I said yes, and I went. And the son of the former president was one of these young men who had not had much training. He had sort of picked up the lingo of the world around him, and he was one of these, well, you'll understand what I mean when I say, as he greeted me at the plane when I got off, I asked him, well, how are you today? Fantastic, he said, as he sort of shook my hand from its wrist, and I said, well, that's wonderful. That, that's great. Outstanding. And I thought, nothing is this good. And I was there a week and realized that it wasn't. And I came back a year later, and he met me again with fantastic. And we went on with one story after another, and I was watching the student body dwindle from one year to the next, and I went back a third time. Between my second and third visit, his world had come apart. His wife had left him. His children were awash and adrift. The student body had come to an all-time low in its history and seemed as though they would be closing their doors. I got off the plane, and not surprisingly, he did not reach me with that vigorous handshake. He was sitting on a bench off to the left with his head down. He looked up, and I looked at him, took him by the shoulders, and had him stand up, and I embraced him. And then I pushed him back, and I said, now how are you? Tears hung in his eyelids as he said, I'm growing and I'm learning, but I'm not fantastic. And I said, now you're talking. My kind of guy. Growing and learning. Friends, that's what life is about. Be careful of the super sensational, greatly hyped language of our day where you encounter a miracle a day to keep the devil away. That's nonsense. That's ridiculous. It's life among the casseroles. It's life growing and learning. As you deal with children and needs and lunches and carpooling and business and disappointment and failure, and struggle, and dogs you cannot train, and people you cannot quite like, though you know you're supposed to love them. One of our daughters said to us not long ago, Dad, I know now why some animals eat their young. I said, I be, be glad you're alive, sweetheart. Be glad you're alive. All of this brings us very naturally to this wonderful, wonderful narrative in Luke 24. I love this story because there is no hype. In fact, there was no reason for hype. He had died, hadn't he? I mean, this was after that morning, and they hadn't seen him. The last time his followers had seen him, those who cared enough to stick around, he hung limp and lifeless and bloody on a Roman cross, dead. 
A few noble and courageous followers had the kindness to wrap his body and place him in a borrowed tomb, roll the stone in front of it to keep the predators out, or some fool who would steal his body and later claim a resurrection. It was over, done with, curtains. Oh, there had been talk about a raised Jesus, and some had even claimed that they heard from angels about it, but not many had seen him, and those who had, others were saying, you're just highly emotional. It's done. And then there appears on the page of Luke's account a wonderful interlude, <laughs> a story, true story. And these people are so unknown, we, we've never heard of one, and the other is never identified. Cleopas is the name of the one who's identified, and he and his friend are on, his, on their way back to a place we can't today locate. Even though the text says it's seven miles from Jerusalem, they have looked and looked and looked, and Emmaus is not there. You don't go through Emmaus when you visit the Holy Land. No one knows where it is today. This is one of those ordinary days. After the parade is over, the triumphal entry is but a memory. The circus-like atmosphere that surrounded his trials and torture and death, that's past. And they've decided it's time to just go home. And that's where we meet them, verse 13. Two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. I imagine it was small talk, whispered conversations, much as you would with a friend you jog with early in the morning or take a walk with in your neighborhood. You've been on that sidewalk a hundred times and more, and when they made a turn making their way toward the, that, that destination, they looked over and much as you would if a neighbor joined you in the walk. According to the passage, they, they saw Jesus, but, but he just approached and began traveling with them. I like that. You know, artists do their best to help us picture Jesus, but invariably they miss it. They always put a halo there or some kind of aura or that look, something some inhuman kind of look. He didn't float up with angel's wings. He just walked over. He looked like any other man, except for a few scars that they hadn't seen yet. And so they nodded, and he nodded, and they continued to converse and discuss. According to verse 16, whatever this means, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. We know now more than they knew then. We know it was Jesus of Nazareth, and we know he had been raised from the dead. They thought he was just another man. And I love the way he approaches them, verse 17. This is great. What are these things, these words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. Can't you picture that? This is life among the casseroles. This is life lived in the crucible of disappointment. They're sad. 
They look down, they don't say much. And Peter Marshall adds, so engrossed were the two men in their memories that they did not notice the approach of a stranger and suddenly he was walking beside them. That's the way it happened. And so he says, well, what is this you're talking about? <laughs> I love the answer. Cleopas said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Can you imagine Cleopas late that night going, why did I say that? We've all done it. <laughs> I mean, are you the only one that doesn't know about these things? You can never convince me there wasn't a playful touch in Jesus' personality when he answers verse 19. What things? <laughs> Isn't this great? We know more than they know. And often it's what you don't know that makes a situation so humorous. I heard the story some time ago of two nuns who were nurses traveling to the hospital where they would serve that day, and a half block before they reached the service station, they ran out of gasoline. Half a block. The only thing they had to carry the gasoline in was a bedpan. So they opened the trunk and they got the bedpan and they went and they got the bedpan full of gasoline and very gingerly carried it back to the, to the car and they took the gas cap off and they were pouring the gasoline in as a couple was driving by and the husband said to his wife, honey, that's what I call faith. Uh, that's a... <laughs> it, it's often what you don't know that makes a situation so funny. They don't know that it's Jesus of Nazareth. And when he says what things, they just decide to unload the truck on him. And so for six verses, they unfold the whole story. And he's standing there listening to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Listen to all that they said. The things of Jesus of Nazareth, who was a mighty prophet in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. Oh, yeah. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and, and crucified him. Don't miss the next comment. But we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. That's what we wanted. We wanted to get out from under this Roman yoke. And he didn't even do that. That's why we're sad. Indeed, beside all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Why'd they say that? Because in three days he said he would come back and they haven't seen him. I mean, it's been three days and he's not back. It's over. It's done with. That's why we're sad. There were some women among us who amazed us saying while they were at the tomb early in the morning, we, we didn't find the body. They came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women said, but him they didn't see. So there's a little bit of disbelief in it, isn't there? You know, they said this, she said that. These folks say this, we, angels, visions, you know, we're going home. I don't want to hurry over that too quickly. I want you to locate verse 20, verse 21 once again. I want you to notice, first of all, their viewpoint was strictly human viewpoint. The chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be crucified. There's not a word about the living God. There's not a comment about God's plan as had been revealed in the scriptures. It was all what happened to us now 
It was all, look at this circumstance in which we find ourselves, look at this impossible situation, and of all things, our rulers were behind the plan, and he's been nailed to a cross. It's done with. All human viewpoint. 21, I mentioned earlier, they have a political agenda. We had wanted to be redeemed as a nation. Didn't happen. And the end of verse 21 says, it's the third day since this happened. They never found his body. It's over. Nothing left. Let me pause here and say that often in the midst of your everyday life on everyday road kind of existence, you'll get caught in this sort of slump. It's called a funk in our day. You kind of drop into a funk. And... Um, Nothing's working. Your viewpoint is horizontal. People begin to mean more to you than they should. The Lord is sort of eclipsed. The heavens are brass. And there's no hope in sight. Your dreams are shattered. Your hopes are dashed. And life is turned into just a tube of toothpaste. That's it. That's where they are. 25. Look at verse 25. Remember, they don't know who he is, but suddenly this stranger becomes an instructor. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Man, you missed something in your human viewpoint. God planned it this way. Was it not necessary for the Christ, which is another word for Messiah, anointed one, Christos, was it not necessary for the anointed one to suffer these things and to enter to his glory? Isn't that what the Lord planned? Let me show you a different response. After the Holy Spirit has come, after their eyes have been opened, go to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. You'll love this. If you don't, you should. Look at verse 22 of Acts 2. This is Peter, who earlier has denied him three times. Now that he's repented and the Lord has brought him back to a place of service in the new church, look at Peter's words. Look at the difference. 2.22 of Acts. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, watch now, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, that is the right perspective. It wasn't just another death. It wasn't the result of the chief priests and rulers. It was the predetermined plan of almighty sovereign God. And they missed it in their discouragement and depression. The predetermined and foreknowledge plan of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Go a chapter further in Acts, chapter 3, verse 18. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Isn't that terrific? This isn't just an afterthought. This isn't the result of men's working. This is God's plan unfolding. 
The people who thought they were playing such a significant role, such as Pontius Pilate, just a piece of lint on the page of prophecy. It's just part of what God planned. Get out of the way, Pilate. I have a plan that's unfolding, and it's called the redemption of individuals, not the release of Israel from Rome. In life, when it looks like things are out of control, it is running the course that God predestined to occur, and don't you doubt it. God's predetermined plan is running its course. If you doubt that, you'll become sad and depressed. If you remember that, it will make all the difference in your perspective. We're just getting started with this fascinating story. Stay with us because Chuck Swindoll has much more to show us in Luke chapter 24. This is Insight for Living. Chuck titled his message, Encountering Jesus Along Life's Road. To learn more about the 20 messages in this classic collection called Jesus, the Greatest Life of All, visit us online at insightworld.org. Here at Insight for Living, we believe that sometimes your best learning occurs apart from this program when you're reading God's Word on your own. Did you realize that Chuck wrote a study Bible that's thoughtfully designed to guide your personal quiet times? It's called the Swindoll Study Bible, and it represents decades of personal research all condensed into one book. In classic Swindoll fashion, you'll find the Swindoll Study Bible to be practical, easy to navigate, and filled with resources that enhance your interpretation of God's Word. Each book in the Bible includes helpful context from Chuck, along with colorful profiles on key biblical figures. Because of its popularity, the Swindoll Study Bible is now offered in many different styles and sizes. You can choose your preferred binding, font size, colors, and textures, and you can make your selection right now by going online to insight.org store. This daily program is made possible through voluntary donations from grateful listeners like you. If God is prompting you to support this ministry, call us. If you're listening in the U.S., call 800-772-8888 or give online at insight.org donate. I'm Bill Meyer. Join us next time when Chuck Swindoll continues to describe the surprising encounter between Jesus and two men on their way to Emmaus, right here on Insight for Living. The preceding message, Encountering Jesus Along Life's Road, was copyrighted in 1999, 2000, and 2008, and the sound recording was copyrighted in 2008 by Charles R. Swindoll, Inc., all rights are reserved worldwide. Duplication of copyrighted material for commercial use is strictly prohibited.